We're going to talk about, in, in continuing this uh, series of who dat, we're going to talk about two guys that I imagine uh, you, you may never have, when you've gone through the Bible reading it, you, you just passed over their names and uh, they're, they're uh, uh, kind of nondescript, but they're, they're packed in uh, the story of Moses in a, in a place that is quite significant and gives us an illustration of what happens when the things that God has declared holy aren't kept holy. And the men's names are Nadab and Abihu. Nadab and Abihu. And we're talking about strange fire, and our text is going to be Leviticus 10, 1 through 11. Now, when you see, hear those names, it kind of sounds like they're, they're something from a Disney movie, you know, the, or, or you remember the, the, uh, in Star Wars, the, the, uh, the guys at, that, uh, at the bar scene, and all the crazy people, you know, looking, and, and these are the guys, that, that, these, these, these guys would be there, their names. Uh, Nadab and Abihu, and although it's it's uh, I, I, it's it's a casual jest, I hope that after this morning these two names will be imprinted on your minds, uh, serving as a warning as to what happens when you don't take God seriously. I look at two things in this in this scripture: a good start, but a bad finish is the first area. And the second is failure to honor God's holiness has devastating results. We first come across these guys in Exodus 6.23. Moses writes, uh, Aaron married Elisheba, the daughter of Aminadab. You know, nobody's name is Paula or Ruth or, you know. Sister of Nashon, she gave birth to his sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. Nadab means noble. And Abihu means my father he is. The first mention of them is located right in the middle of the story of Moses coming to Pharaoh, uh, telling them that, that he is giving him, him notice that God has said to let, let my people go. And we can assume that, that these boys were very much experienced with the discomfort of slavery. We also learn from Numbers 3.2 that Nadab is the firstborn and Abihu is the secondborn. Numbers 3.2 says, the names of Aaron's son. These were Aaron's sons. Nadab, the oldest, and Abihu, and then Eleazar and Ithamar. And beyond that, we don't know much about them. We don't know their ages. We, we don't know... Uh, the difference in age. Uh, Old Testament scholars don't believe they were twins, but uh, the fact is that due to every time they're mentioned in the Bible, they're mentioned together, we can assume that they were probably close together in age. The Bible doesn't say very much, but it does, what it does say proves very interesting. For instance, the next mention of these guys is found in Exodus 24. In 24.1, then the Lord instructed Moses... Come up here to me and bring along Aaron. You know, remember, Aaron is, is Moses' mouthpiece. As an interesting aside, Moses gave all the excuses about, Lord, I can't do this, I can't do that. You know, I'm not able to do this, I'm not able to do that. He says, I, I got this, this speech impediment. 
I stutter, uh, people aren't going to listen to me, and so God had it up to here. And so he says, okay, uh, you can use Aaron. Aaron will be your mouthpiece. It's interesting to note, in, in all of Scripture, Moses never ever used Aaron to speak for him. God always gave him what he needed for the job that he called him to do. That's a, that's a good application for us. We can offer all kinds of excuses of why we shouldn't and can't do something that God has called us to do. And yet, if we allow someone else to do it for us, we're going to lose a blessing. But we also are confident that God is always going to give us, equip us with everything that we need to accomplish what He has asked us to do. So, Moses says, come up here and, and, uh, to me and bring along Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu. And 70 of Israel's elders, all of you must worship from a distance. So they're camped, camped around Mount Sinai, and God tells Moses, come on up to the mountain. And if you notice here that Nadab and Abihu are included on the list of people privileged to serve Moses. We also find that everyone coming up to the mountain is given explicit, explicit instructions to worship. And from a, they were to worship from a distance. They couldn't go up with him. Only Moses was able to go into the presence of God. The app, I see as a, an application here for us that God has called each one of us to salvation. And God called Moses to receive the law, but he calls us to receive his grace. God has given us the privilege to worship him not on a mountain, but here in church. Not on a mountain, but in the comforts of our own home. Not on a mountain, but in our car or while we're walking by the, in the, around the block. We are able to worship God right where we're at. He gave us implicit instructions regarding worship, and we also have the privilege of serving God by serving one another. But listen to this. A little bit later in verses 9 through 11, you'll find that they set out to do as Moses told, as the Lord told Moses. Exodus 24, 9 through 11, Then Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel climbed up the mountain again. There they saw the God of Israel. Under his feet there seemed to be a surface of brilliant blue lapis lazuli, as clear as the sky itself. And though these nobles of Israel gazed upon God, he did not destroy them. In fact, they ate a covenant meal, eating and drinking in his presence. Do you hear that correctly? God, they saw God, and they lived to tell about it. This was a special, a special thing that God asked them to do, invited them to do. So, surely, this honor would be with them for the rest of their lives. So, the brothers have quite a history of not only seeing and witnessing the miracles of God from a distance from the deliverance of the Israelites from the slavery, crossing the Red Sea, journeying through the desert. They not only witnessed the tremendous power and majesty of God on Mount Sinai when God gave the Ten Commandments, but they also had a tremendous, the tremendous honor of actually seeing God Himself. And then we read they're blessed with being God's chosen priests. We are too. We're called a peculiar people. Now, that's not a bad peculiar, because some, some Christians you find, are, you know, they can be a little odd. <laughs> now, peculiar is different, special. And, and we have been called God's special people. 
the brothers appear to have been uh, very have a very privileged and uh, special life, especially with being able to know to to be in the presence of God. But that's not the end of the story. In Leviticus ten one through eleven, it takes a turn that's that's quite quite bad, quite unfortunate. Let me read. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, put coals of fire in their incense burners and sprinkled incense over them. In this way, they disobeyed the Lord by burning before him the wrong kind of fire, different than the Lord had commanded. So fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up, and they died there before the Lord. They were killed, graveyard dead. That's not in there, then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord meant when he said, I will display my holiness through those who come near me. I will display my glory before all the people. And Aaron was silent. Then Moses called for Mishael and Lazaphan, Aaron's cousins, the sons of Aaron's uncle Uziel. And he said to them, come forward and carry away the bodies of your relatives from in front of the sanctuary to a place outside the camp. So they came forward, picked them up by their garments. They wouldn't even carry them. They wouldn't even touch their hands or their feet to carry them out. They grabbed grabbed them by their shirt collars and drug them out of the camp. And Moses said to Aaron and to his sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, Do not show grief by leaving your hair uncombed or by tearing your clothes. If you do, you will die. And the Lord's anger will strike the whole community of Israel. However, the rest of the Israelites, the rest, however, the rest of the Israelites, your relatives may mourn because of the Lord's fiery destruction of Nadab and Abihu. And I believe that, that the reason for that was these are the these were also brothers. And he said, "Don't don't you show mourning because you know they disobeyed. You know what God was going to do. You know and understand the holiness of God, and He is going to." Uh, uh, he is going to ensure that his holiness is is obeyed. But you must not leave the entrance of the, of the tabernacle, or you will die. For you have been anointed with the Lord's anointing oil. So they did as Moses commanded, and the Lord said to Aaron, "You and your descendants must never drink wine or any other alcoholic drink before going into the tabernacle. If you do, you will die." This is a permanent law for you, and it must be observed from generation to generation. You must distinguish yourself between what is sacred and what is common, between what is ceremonially unclean and what is clean, and you must teach the Israelites all the decrees that the Lord has given them through Moses. God doesn't play, my friends. He doesn't mess around. And when he says this is what's going to happen, it happens. Oh, that's just a story in that old book. If, if, that's, if that's how you want to believe, that's fine. But when you, when you make that pronouncement, don't be standing next to me because I don't want to hear, be hit by uh, the shrapnel when God zaps you. God doesn't play. So the second thing is failure to honor God's holiness has devastating results. I believe that, that when God talks to us uh, that as, as believers that, that he uh, and, and gives us instructions that, that we are recipients of his grace, but we also are 
experiencing His holiness. When I was dating Sarita and we were engaged and I was an unbeliever, I believed that I was able to be, uh, take advantage of, of her position in Christ and, and just hanging out with her, uh, I got to experience the holiness of God. I didn't know what it was. But I also received some protection of God. I'll tell you a story, and it's, it's a horrible story, but it's a story nonetheless. Not between us. <laughs> we had some friends, and uh, the, the, they uh, were building an interstate uh, in our hometown, and the deck hadn't been poured. And the, so there was a... There was a uh, a gap between where the two parts of the of the road, the overpass of the road, uh, going go, uh, which went across the interstate, uh, and so there was. Uh, it started out as a dare, and when you weighed 145 pounds and had a motorcycle that would go 100 miles an hour, you could jump that gap. That was a hoot. <laughs> and, and so uh, we were talking about that. Of course, I didn't have any witnesses to, and, and to, to you know, I'd tell the story. And they, yeah, yeah, right, Batson, yeah, right, Batson. So these kids decided that they could do it in a car because the car could go a whole lot faster. And they invited Sarita and I to come with them. And Sarita said no. And I don't know why you said no. I mean, because we didn't have anything else to do other than I think it was a prompting of God. Four kids in this car, and we would have been the fifth and sixth. Tried it. They didn't compensate for the weight of the car, the weight of the people, nor the speed. And every one of them went off that bridge and hit head on to the other side. All four of them were killed. I was able to experience the holiness of God. Of course, I didn't know that because... My wife obeyed, I think, what she thought was a prompting of God. Don't do it. Don't go. And so I, I did a whole lot of other stupid stuff that didn't have disastrous results uh, that she did with me, but, but uh, we, we didn't lose our lives. But failure to honor God's holiness has devastating results. This is one of the instances in the Bible where God's people... Uh, faced physical death due to their rebellion. When God lays out orders for something to be done a certain way, it's exactly the way the matter should be handled, not doing something completely different, not doing things their own way, not doing things the way they wanted to do because, well, you know, it's no big deal. We find in this picture uh, a tragic scene. The two brothers have experienced God in such a privileged way and a truly have been blessed to have seen his, his majesty and His glory. And yet we learn from their reckless and careless attitudes about spiritual things which led to their death at the hands of God. I'm not saying that if you don't, if you don't do something the right... Like, if, if, you don't, if we don't pray before we have the meal, that we're all going to die of, of food poisoning. I, I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that when we are reckless and, care, and have a reckless and careless attitude about the spiritual things, about spiritual things, it's dishonoring to God and there are going to be devastating results. It could be health. It could be a reversal in business. It could be 
uh, problems within the family. It could be problems with a relationship. God doesn't play. They made a terrible mistake of thinking that they wanted to, uh, if they wanted to offer the fire, offer the fire of their own making, it'd be all right. See, this was Aaron's job. And God wouldn't do anything about it. And look what happened, again, to Nadab and Abihu. Leviticus 10.2 says, The fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence. He was in their midst. God's here with us today. And, and God's judgment for us as Christians is going to be reserved at the, uh, at the judgment seat of Christ. So we're not being judged today as Israel was judged. But the, the fire blazed blaze forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up, and they died there before the Lord. And I think there's a definite contrast here between the strange fire, and that's what we've called this, strange fire that Nadab and Abihu brought into the Lord's presence and the consuming fire that executes, executed God's holy judgment on them for their disobedience. Uh, this, this strange fire is, is something that isn't new. You remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira in, in the book of Acts. They lied to the Holy Spirit and they faced sudden death as well. Acts 5, 4 through, Acts 5, 4 through 5 and 9 through 10. It reads as follows. Luke writes, The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was yours to keep or give away. How could you do a thing like this? You, were lying, you weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified, and Peter said, How could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the Spirit of the Lord like this? And he's talking to Sapphira, the wife now. The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. You know, there's all kinds of strange things in church. We have strange things. There are strange doctrines. There are strange practices. (laughs) There's some strange thinking in church. Strange customs. When, when Ben and I sit down and talk, he tells me about the way they do stuff in the Philippines. Now, we worship the same God. We have the same Christ. We come to faith the same way, but they do it with a language that's strange to me. Now, they were trying to teach me some, uh, to, to, yeah, that, that, that language. And, and uh, you know... I, I, I think they were playing with me. I, I think they, they were telling me, you know, your, your brother-in-law is uh, an umbrella or something. But, uh, you know, it's, it's strange. It's different. It doesn't make it wrong. There's some strange ways, the customs of, of how they go about uh, worship in different parts of the world. Yet the strange in Leviticus 10 can be translated, translated as foreign. Foreign meaning not, not being uh, foreign as, you know, you're from that place and we're from this place. Foreign means something that is, that is uh, 
shouldn't be. It's, it's tainted. In other words, the fire that Nadab and Abihu brought before the Lord did not have his stamp of approval on it. Did not, God did not approve it. It was foreign. There are a lot of doctrines and thinking and practices in the church today that God would never put and doesn't put his divine approval on. And I think that's why some of these churches are not blessed. You say, well, John, you know, are you saying that because we're small in numbers we have empty seats that God's not blessing this church? Absolutely not. Look at you. Look at who's beside you. You were appointed to be here by the very God who is on that mountain. The reason that we're small is because God says, this is how I want you to worship. This is how I want you to be. I want you to be a family. And if you were bigger, you probably couldn't handle it. Maybe, maybe not. But God has given us who we have, and God has given us one another so we can serve one another. This fire was not merely a product of some wrong actions that, that Nadab and Abihu demonstrated in coming before the presence of, of God. It, it does not appear that they had any orders to burn incense at all at this time. It's true that their consecration was, was complete the day before and it was part of their work as priests to serve at the altar of incense, but it appears that while this would be their duty at this particular time, it was Aaron who was supposed to do the burning of the incense as they inaugurated the new tabernacle. But these brothers, they were so proud of the honor that they, they were newly advanced to, they wanted to do it their own way and it cost them their lives. Yet without receiving orders or so much as asking uh, uh, permission from him, they took their censers and they entered into the door of which they thought they had attended long enough and would burn incense. Man, that pride would get you in trouble every time. God had indeed required the priests to burn incense, but at this time it was something that they were not supposed to do. See, Nadab and Abihu were so excited and proud about the honor they wanted to rush it, and God says, no, 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 no. No, this is something that's holy, and we're not rushing the holy things of God. Friends, God's timing is always perfect. And he tells us, this is what I want you to do, when I want you to go, where I want you to go. Don't, don't, don't do a thing until I give you that permission. Sometimes I want to help God a little bit and sometimes I try to speed things up and in doing so, when I do that, I, I affront the holiness of God. In doing so, we're bringing strange fire before the Lord. The brothers didn't consult with Moses or their father, the high priest. Moses had received a word from God, but this clearly did not matter to these young men. They wanted to act on their own. So those authority in authority should be consulted, and that's God's way of doing things from the earliest of times. Some of you may be thinking, yeah, that's fine, but what, I know, uh, uh, what if I know what God has spoken to me about something in, in the leadership doesn't agree with me? Don't do it. God has put these people in charge, in authority over you, and what you may think is to be done, God did not tell those who are in authority and that's who got the that's who who has been given 
the, uh, the administrative duties over the people. And my answer is, if God spoke to you and he wants you to use you for a particular task, he's going to bring it about. Even if the leadership is not responsive, eventually God will put someone in authority that will listen to his voice and recognize what he's speaking into your life, and it'll happen. Don't rush God. Don't try to do that, and don't go ahead on your own authority, because God won't bless it. Is is this scriptural? Yes, it is. Look what David did. David was anointed the, the, uh, uh, the next king of Israel while Saul was still in power, and there was no doubt that David's anointing was from God. Yet if you read uh, 1 Samuel, you'll find that Saul didn't recognize God's kingship. In fact, Saul set out to kill David. David was forced to flee. And there were opportunities that came up for David to kill Saul, but surely he, he had been justified in doing it. After all, he was the Lord's anointed, and yet listen to David's words. Leviticus 10.3, God spoke to Aaron because David quoted this about being glorified, and the two young men didn't have the glory of God in mind at all. We, we offer strange fire when our motive and what we do fails in a desire to give God glory. Folks, there are lessons that we can learn from these two guys. The holiness of God is not to be trifled with. The question that nagged uh, at the back of my mind through all this, my study, is why did God have to kill him? Why couldn't he have just, you know, chopped off an arm or something or, or made him walk with a limp? You know, did he have to kill them? You know, God could have used a little bit, little, little bit less of a deadly approach in discipline, couldn't he? I mean, kids disobey, you don't kill them. The only answer I've been able to reconcile with is the nature of Nadab and Abihu's behavior, is their attitude. They had seen God. They knew what, was li- what it was like to be in his presence. Remember also they were not obli- oblivious to the power and the majesty of God. They saw him part the Red Sea. They knew all this, and yet just once, just once, they said, we're going to do it our own way, and they offered the strange fire. They took God for granted. And the first word spoken to their father after their death as God spoke to Moses. Fred, uh, we, we, we need to avoid strange fire this morning. We need to come to the altar of God fresh and, and new and ask God for the fire of heaven to fall upon our souls once again. We need to learn from these two brothers this morning that God takes his holiness seriously and we are to worship him as the living God in spirit and in truth. Let's pray. Lord, this is a hard, this is a hard lesson. This, this wasn't something that, that was easy to read or, or, even, or it's even harder to, to preach. And yet I, I thank you for the fact that once again we're reminded 
that we need to take you seriously. We need to approach you with fear, with that reverential fear, that, that awe that you are the true and living God, the author and finisher of our faith, the God of, of Moses and Aaron, the God who freed millions of, of slaves of, uh, for, of Israel from the power of the Egyptians, the God who led them through the wilderness, fire by day, fire by night, and, and, then, and then fire by day. Lord, you're an awesome God. May we continue to be reminded through stories like this, through accounts in the Bible that tell of your display of your power, of your glory. And Lord, if there's one here today that, that doesn't know you as Savior, may this be the day that they say, uh, John, I, 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 don't, I don't understand it. It's kind of a scary thought, but um, I don't want to play fast and loose with God anymore. I, I want to be his child. And if that's your prayer, you can pray a real simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And in the best way I know how, I invite you to come into my life and save me. Lord Jesus, I believe when you died on the cross, you died in my place, that I could have eternal life with you in heaven, and I thank you for that. In your son's name, amen.